0: Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you doing today? It is September. What happened to the summer? I don't know. Here in Florida, it was so wet and relatively cool. Not that I'm complaining, because the alternative is really, really hot and humid. But um, it didn't feel <laughs> a lot like a summer um, in many ways. And there were a lot of days that I wanted to go to the beach. And that was just not going to happen unless I wanted to um, get you know, struck by lightning. So what I'm talking about this month is professional development in ways internally, externally, you know, kind of what are your options for getting professional development. And today I want to talk about external continuing education and graduate school opportunities. So this is a topic that can be a little more kind of nebulous for you as an employee because last week we talked about internal professional development and so typically those programs are going to already exist within the company, and they're going to tell you about that at the initial orientation when you go to work. They may not, so you may have to create those situations, but in many cases, it's already there. What may not be there is ready access to continuing education or certainly graduate school. Now, if you work for a company that will pay for you to go to college to get a, like a master's degree, they have a tuition reimbursement program that's fabulous, I highly recommend it. My son's doing that right now. He works for Major League Soccer, and he's able to complete his degree through Southern New Hampshire University, which is which has a relationship with Major League Soccer. So that's fabulous, right? Um, but oftentimes, this is not really discussed at work. So we're going to talk about this today, and I've got I've got some strategies for kind of ways to continue your education, both formal, uh, both. You know degree seeking and non-degree seeking so the first one is university continuing education department so if you work in a fairly large city it is highly likely that if there's a university there that they have a continuing education arm so if you think of a university as being um, sort of cloistered and you know it's for the most part it's about the students who are enrolled and seeking degrees the continuing ed department is kind of the external arm of that campus that is reaching out to the business community. And I would say to the community as a whole, because oftentimes continuing ed units will offer things like art and dance and music and um, crafts and those kinds of things as well. But the bread and butter of most continuing education departments is that kind of formal, non-degree coursework that you can take for professional development. Um, So there's a couple of ways that you can take courses at a a university um, continuing ed department. One is going to be like a cluster of courses that they have grouped together that lead to a certification or some kind of designation. So you take this series of courses in your designated X, whatever it is. And so those courses are going to be laid out for you. They're typically going to be um, sequenced for you. Take this one first, take this one next. And they will be offered in a complementary fashion. In other words, they're, you know, this is continuing education. This is not like the, the campus where you may have three classes that you want to take at the same time. They're going to set these up to where you can take them in, in sequence. So that's one way kind of that cluster of courses. Another way is they'll offer standalone courses. So it's just one course, doesn't probably doesn't lead to a designation of any kind, but it gives you some concentrated knowledge in a certain area. You know, so you know you take a, an accounting class for non-business majors and, and it, that's what it is. The third thing is I, I think increasingly continuing ed departments are working collaboratively with companies in their area to develop coursework specifically for either their employees or for them to attract employees. Now what I mean by that is when I lived in Columbus, Georgia, Columbus State University, which is where I worked at the time, was very good at reaching out into the Columbus community and to the business community and partnering with them. And so they had one program, I don't know if they still have it, but it was to it was a quick start kind of program that was actually preparing people to be programmers. So, had a very large company that had a high, um, big need for, for programmers in Columbus and you could go in and take this course and it didn't guarantee you employment at that employer. You may choose to go somewhere else, they may choose not to hire you, but you were getting some really good programming training and classes in a very concentrated period of time. So a a note about if you choose to go the continuing ed route or really any of the routes that I'm talking about today, I want you to keep some kind of a folder where you're keeping record of all of these things. And here's why. You're going to want to put that stuff on your resume the next time you update it. You may need to put it on some kind of a formal document from your employer. You may need some other um, you know, you're, you're nominated for some kind of an award and they want to know what classes you've taken. There's is, is all kinds of reasons why you might need this information. And it's real easy for it to kind of go by the wayside. So keep a folder, put your certificates, um, you know, if there's like a printout from, you know, the classes that you took with the titles of them, whatever they give you. I'm, I'm not talking about the notes that you take for the class. I'm talking about the, the acknowledgement that you took that class or that series of classes. Keep that in a folder Keep that at the ready, and you can also, for that matter, kind of stick any of your kudos in there, your praises from customers or co-workers or your boss, you know, just kind of keep that your little brag file. So that's number one is university continuing education departments. Number two is for-profit training companies. So used to be, back in the day, there was a company called Fred Pryor, Skill Path, those were two of the biggies. I don't know if they're still around, and it doesn't really matter. I just want to let you know about these for-profit training companies and kind of what the shtick is. Because they are for-profit, you want to do your due diligence with them and find out what the reputation is. So just do a little Googling or ask around in your office um, if you're thinking about taking a class to see if that's kind of a legit company that you're thinking about taking it with. The benefit to these for-profit training companies is what they'll typically do is come to a large town, so if you live in a large city, they may come to you or you may have to drive a little bit. Um, I took a couple of these courses when I lived in northeast Missouri, so I had to drive down to Columbia, Missouri. I had to drive about an hour and a half, but I got really good content in a couple of these classes and they were different than anything I would get at the university, right? So that's, I think, the benefit of these for-profit classes is it's you know a half a day or a full day so it's a pretty concentrated dive into something that maybe is not directly related to your job but would benefit your job I think the class that I took that I'm thinking of um, that I really loved it had something to do with um, it was something to do with creativity I can't I just remember some of the fun things and I really like the woman who taught it and actually um, interacted with her afterwards and had some questions for her and she emailed me back and we we stayed in touch for quite a while but that was a really cool class and it was not like anything they would offer at the university so it was a really great opportunity for me Um, so again just do your due diligence and and make sure that that's a company that has a good reputation so that's number two for-profit training companies number three is targeted coursework at a university as a non-degree seeking student so it is possible for you to take coursework as a non-degree seeking student. So that what that means is that you're not trying to matriculate with any particular degree. And so any of the requirements of that degree or a degree program are kind of off your shoulder. So you can also possibly audit a class. This is just stuff you're going to have to look into. So if you audit a class, you don't take any of the tests. You don't get a grade. You don't get any feedback on any projects. So you're just kind of there in the classroom absorbing the information, but you're not getting any kind of recognition that you've taken that class. It's not going to show up on a transcript or anything. If you take a course as a non-degree seeking student, it will. Um, What I've seen increasingly with my clients is that many of them will take Um, courses at Ivy League schools so you know Harvard has a uh, has a kind of a continuing education arm or um, or they let you go into Harvard as a non-degree seeking student but they people like having Harvard (laughs) you can imagine you like having Harvard University on your resume you like having Yale or Columbia or wherever and so I think that's kind of a, a trend that I'm seeing growing and sometimes that's for that's continuing ed and sometimes that's non-degree seeking um, courses. So number four is conferences, workshops, and seminars that are offered through your professional association. So if you don't belong to any professional associations, that's one thing I want to recommend that you do and you want to just kind of do your due diligence with that. Like what's the most organization or most um, professional, like fields, have one primary association and then a lot of other little ones. So I always recommend that one main one because typically you're going to get more exposure, you're going to have more opportunities in that one big one, and then you may want to join some little ones as well. But your professional organizations can often be the best source for professional development that is specific to the work you do. So, for example, if I think back to when I worked in, in higher education, there was never a course offered to me at either of the universities that I worked at that would tell me how to run a career center, that would tell me how to coach um, students, how to, you know, critique resumes for students, but yet those were the kind of things that were offered through my professional development association. So many of these kind of organizations will have an annual conference or maybe a biannual conference, meaning they do it every other year or every third year, and then they'll have workshops and seminars more frequently so oftentimes those are online via webinar via zoom call via something or even like e-learning with you know online training what i love about you attending conferences is that you get that exposure to other professionals in your field and so many of those annual conferences will even have an infrastructure in place where you can apply so you've got people they have needs that they have positions that they're um, that they're recruiting for right now so they have a, an infrastructure there like a board or something where they show those jobs and then you can actually apply for them there and even be interviewed and of course they have it all worked out very stealthy so it's not as though you're you know <laughs> kind of telegraphing the fact that this is going on but it can be a really great way to get exposure beyond kind of where you work now and another benefit I want you to consider with professional associations is serving on committees so i've served on oh my gosh i served on the committee for new professionals so we had like a like an initial orientation so if it was your first time to the conference this is the shtick you get you get this program and i help tra- plan that i w- have also been on the planning committee for the annual conference i've also served on executive boards of committees uh, of these conferences and these professional associations and some of those people I've met are still my friends to this day, even though I've left that, that field a long time ago. So it can really be a great way for you to meet people from all over. It can expose you to job opportunities, but it, it is also just a great professional development way. So those five um, ways for continuing, getting your, continuing your education outside of your current employer, university continuing education departments, for-profit training companies, Targeted coursework at a university as a non-degree-seeking student or auditing a class. Conferences, workshops, or seminars offered through your professional association. That was four ways. I think I said five, but it was four. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about graduate degrees, right? So I don't know what the statistics are about how many people have graduate degrees now, um, but it, it is certainly more prevalent. And I'll tell you something interesting if you're in the U.S., I have a lot of clients in Canada, I've worked with a lot of Canadians, and what I see very often is at the same level of job that they would have in the United States, they're at the same level, whether it's director level or VP or a more entry level, they often will have one degree less than what we would typically have holding that job in the U.S. So if it's a job that requires a bachelor's degree in the U.S., it might require an associate's degree or nothing in Canada. If pretty much everybody who gets a certain job in the U.S. has a master's degree, typically they can get it with a bachelor's degree in Canada. Not saying that one is better than the other. I often think that we're an over-educated workforce here in the U.S. I'm just pointing out something. So let's talk about whether or not you should pursue a, a graduate degree. Kind of, it's two things. is Should I pursue one at all? And is now the right time to pursue one? So here are my kind of do's. Do seek a graduate degree if you're very clear on your career path, so you're very focused, you know what you want to do, and you know that a graduate degree is going to help you move up within your profession, right? So you're, you, you're on a clear career path, and you can see that a few steps down the road, you're going to need a graduate degree to, to move into the role that you really want to have. Number two, you've maxed out in your current career field without a graduate degree. This is what happened to me, y'all, because I was in a director's position at Columbus State University with only a bachelor's degree, which is a very rare bird. Um, And there's, there's a long story on how that came about, but I had a bachelor's degree. And what I recognized was that, A, I wasn't going to be eligible to get a job really anywhere else in higher education career services without a master's degree. And B, I saw the I saw that my role at, at Columbus State University was coming to an end my role my niche has always been either taking something that wasn't there and making something great out of it or taking something that was underutilized under the radar not no one was paying attention to it making it a focal point of the campus and after I've done that after I kind of see that it's it's smooth sailing we've maxed out then I really my skills are not utilized my skills are not um, fully maximized and so I knew I was, I was getting there and I was going to be looking or wanting to look and I needed a master's degree to do that. So that's another reason. So one is you kind of, you're on a career path and you know that to get where you want to get down the road, you're going to need a master's degree. The other one is you're in a position now where you can't really move out, you know, move up without a graduate degree or even get the same job in another company without a graduate degree. And then the third reason to seek a graduate degree Is if your work schedule is going to allow you to fully commit to the program once you've entered. I have found it very interesting over the years that I've seen um, and heard from employees who said, you know, they were very impressed by the tuition reimbursement program at the company they went to work for. They, you know, they really touted it at the interview and they got very excited about that. And then the reality of the job was such that it was almost impossible to pursue a graduate degree. Now back in the day. A lot of times that meant you traveled a lot and you wouldn't be there to sit in a a seat. But of course, most graduate degrees or many graduate degrees for professionals are offered online now. Still, you have to have the time to do the work. Oftentimes, online classes are even more um, kind of intense than when you're sitting in a classroom. So you really have to have that time and and that flexibility to do that. So here are the reasons that I don't recommend starting a graduate degree. Number one, to avoid entering or continuing in the job market, right? So this is what I saw back in 2008 when the, the stock market crashed and the housing, you know, whole bust happened. We had students who were graduating at about that time. I was still in higher education then. And rather than face what they knew to be an abysmal job market, and it was fully abysmal, they entered into a graduate degree. Well, here's here's my issue with that. I always believe that the most marketable professionals are ones who are balanced with education on one side of the scale and experience on the other side of the scale. And the more out of balance you get, the less marketable you are. So, with a bachelor's degree, an employer isn't expecting you to have more than maybe an internship or two. Maybe you've worked a part time job that kind of touches on that field it's very, it's kind of a very low cost of entry, but when you get that master's degree, so think about a scale, you're going to add a master's degree to that education side that just got a lot heavier, and if you haven't put anything over on the experience side, you've gone out of balance, right? So what I saw with those people a few years later when they completed their master's degree, you know, the economy was still recovering, there still weren't a lot of job opportunities, and there was a perception that many employers feel like they're, you know, a, a person with a master's degree is going to expect more income. So why would I pay more money? You don't have any more experience. You're not bringing anything to the table other than more book knowledge, right? And so there was a real marketability problem. It just it just got postponed, you know, for a couple of years while they got their master's degree. So I don't think it's a good, a good reason to pursue a master's degree to kind of hide out from the job market, whether it's because the job market is bad or you just don't want to deal with it. I think there's a lot cheaper, less expensive ways of hiding if that's what you need to do. I don't recommend it, by the way. Number two, don't seek a graduate degree if you're unclear about what you want to study. One of the benefits, I think, in getting out into the work world for a few years before you get a master's degree is that you, A, are much clearer on your focus, right? And second, you have experience to bring into the classroom, whether it's an online classroom or a real classroom. I remember when I was in my graduate degree, there was such a clear delineation in in my courses between the people who were working professionals, which was the majority of the students, and those people who were just going immediately to get a master's degree after their bachelor's degree. We would have these case studies, and we'd have to make some decisions, and I remember Those of us who were in my shoes, where we were out working and doing this kind of thing every day, we would pull from our experience and we would talk about kind of how we had handled a similar situation, and we could really hash through the implications of possible options, and the students who were coming right out of their bachelor's degree would say, inevitably, what's the answer? They They saw it as it's a black and white answer, and they didn't understand all of the color and nuance involved in any of the case studies, any of the decisions we were having to make. So I think that in addition to getting that clarity about what you would study in mas- in your master's degree, there's also that benefit that you're bringing into the classroom of your work experience. So that's number two. Don't seek a graduate degree if you're unclear about what you want to study. Number three, don't seek a graduate degree just because you have an interest in a particular field. And I put in parentheses, unless you're independently wealthy. <laughs> so what I mean by that is, there are better ways to pursue training, education, knowledge in a subject that you're just interested in. So let's say you have an interest in, I don't know, let's say art. If a graduate degree in art is not going to benefit you professionally, maybe that's not the best way to go. Maybe there's another degree you want to study for your for work purposes because it's going to cost a lot of money. And if your employer's paying for it, they probably have some really tight criteria around what you can and can't study. And then look to what we talked about before, continuing education courses or, you know, classes offered by for-profit companies or some kind of community organization that offers those kind of classes to get that kind of fun stuff that you want to study. So number three is don't don't seek a graduate degree if you, just because you have an interest in a subject. Number four, don't seek a graduate degree if you've started a new job less than a year ago. Now, here's why I I say that, and, and I've coached a lot of clients over the years about this. There is a learning curve to any new job. It can vary greatly depending on whether it's, you know, how new is this kind of work to you? How technical is the work? What level is the work at? What kind of work is it? It's all those things, but there is going to be a learning curve. It may be as short as six months. It may be as long as two years. And when when you think of a learning curve, if you're thinking, like, what does that mean? A learning curve is really that ramp up until you become fully functional in that job, until you are performing at the level of, you know, kind of fully qualified for that job, right? And so typically during that learning curve, there's a couple things going on. First of all, you may have to work longer hours but you're also using kind of you're using your brain in a different way or maybe you're using a different part of your brain but it can be very mentally taxing as you learn all the new things and the new language and the new you know processes and systems and all of that it's very mentally taxing so let your brain just focus on that let your brain get really good at this new job before you add the additional requirement of it to study subjects, right? Your brain will revolt. I can almost guarantee you that if you try to do that to your brain, your brain will revolt in some way that will not be pleasant. So let that learning curve for the new job kind of play itself out and then get into the degree. The other thing is that if, if your company offers reimbursement uh, for graduate degrees, they may very well tell you that You know, you have to be there a year or two years or whatever they require. So most of the time when there's a tuition reimbursement program, they don't, that doesn't go into effect until you've been there for about a year. And then number five, don't seek a graduate degree if your work schedule is so erratic or you're working really overly long hours or, you know, really anything that you can't fully commit to the program. So kind of the reverse I said of, you know, seek a graduate degree if your work schedule will allow it. Don't seek a graduate degree if your work schedule won't allow it. You know, be realistic with yourself and think about, you know, life outside of work and, and, and what you want to do relative to family and relationships and um, you know, social and spiritual and physical, emotional, all of those other all of those other facets of you before deciding that you wanna jump into a graduate degree. So another thing, a final kind of word on this is that when an employer offers a tuition reimbursement program, that can be a really good topic to ask about in the interview. So, you know, I understand that the company has a tuition reimbursement program. Please tell me about it. You want to know the finer points of it. Um, It may not necessarily influence whether you go to work there or not, but it will certainly help you in kind of mapping all of this stuff out. So again, you know, how many months do I have to be at the company before I can start doing the program? What's the reimbursement? Oftentimes it's like an A is 100% reimbursement and a B is this and this. So it may be that kind of thing. It may be a pot of money that you can spend however you want to, whether it's a graduate degree or some other kind of education. So just find out what that is, The other thing that may happen is they may have a clause about how long you have to stay with the company after you've completed the degree. And and then they may have a, a clause where, you know, we, we reserve the right to, um, you know, seek the reimbursement of that degree if you don't stay with us. So I know someone right now who's in that situation. And so he really wants to leave his current employer, but he is getting his degree there and, um, doesn't want to risk that they're going to ask him to repay it. So he's making his plans for his job change around kind of two years out because that's how long he needs to stay with the company. So he's having to look kind of far down the horizon because that's when he would be kind of eligible to leave now that he's used their money to get this degree. So again, my kind of final word on this is think about all the different ways externally that you can grow professionally. So whether it's from you know continuing, continuing education, for-profit seminars, any of that kind of thing, or a formal master's degree, all of this is part of kind of your, your career management strategy and helping you to get where you want to go. If you have questions about that, I would love to help you with that. So reach out to me at Lisa, that's L-E-S-A, at exclusivecareercoaching.com. And also, hey, upcoming webinar every month, webinar, 30 minutes of content, 30 minutes of Q&A, and live coaching with me around that topic. So check out my website, see what the next topic is and when, and sign up. It's free. It's amazing. So I hope this has been helpful, and I want you to have a fantastic, wonderful, amazing week. Take care.